Welcome to the Being Challenge, week one, as we strive together to be more like Jesus. Thanks for tuning in today. Um, this isn't our normal format, but it's not an unfamiliar one either. We'll all uh, have, have been to this online church before, and I hope that you are comfortable and settled in wherever you might be this morning. And we're going to start off today with a bit of an interactive experiment. I'm going to be doing some things with my desktop and stuff here a little bit, so uh, bear with me on that. But I have a uh, picture for you here to look at that I want to show you. And let's see, where did my picture go? There it is. I've got to click on the right icon, scroll down to it, and there we go. Cool. So here's the question for you. As you look at this picture, you can see there's a line to the one side and then there's line A, B, and C on the other side of the picture there. And here's the question. Is the single line the same length as line A, B, or C? Hmm. Is it the same as line A, B, or C? Well, it's not a trick question, and it's not an optical illusion. Maybe. Um, you can type your answer in the comments you like if you want to, and uh, we'll see who agrees and who doesn't on that. But uh, most people are probably going to say C, which is right, or is it right? But in the 1950s, a guy named Solomon Ash did this same experiment, and he asked the same question with the same lines. And the results of the experiment were that 75% of the people chose A as the correct answer. Now, the correct answer is C. So, you know, if you, choose, if you chose line C, you are correct. So why did 75% of the people in the experiment choose A when C is the obvious answer? Well, the reason people chose A is because of the way the experiment was conducted. Um, they would bring a subject into the room full of strangers who were undergoing the same experiment. And what the subject didn't know was that the strangers were actors who had been planted by the researchers who gave scripted answers to certain questions. And they were shown the same cards uh, that you're looking at now and asked the uh, same question, which of the three lines matched the single line? Uh, and the experiment always began the same way. And everyone was shown some similar things and asked similar questions with obvious and easily, easy answers. And when they came to the test we're looking at, the actors in the room would intentionally give the wrong answer. They'd choose line A, even though it's obviously wrong. And the person who was the subject of the experiment, of course, didn't know what was going on. They're obviously looking at this picture and saying, well, it's, it's, it's line C. Why is everybody saying A? And they were often, obviously and often confused by that, and they would uh, laugh a little bit to themselves, and then they would double-check the reaction of the other people, and then they would doubt what they were seeing. And 75% of people who were subject to the experiment gave the same response as the actors giving their own answer. Now, we can learn from that that a group can influence our behavior. Um, good, bad, otherwise, um, if we're unsure about what to do, the people around us often have a large influence on the things we do, and they dictate our behavior. As much as we might like to think we're very independent, often we're very, very much influenced by the people around us. And when you think about that, we do that all the time. When you start looking at different areas of life, we actually rely on 
a larger group to make a lot of decisions. And uh, technology has actually, I suppose, influenced that even more so because how often maybe when you're in some place that's unfamiliar or you're looking for something to eat, the first thing you do is you hop online and look at Google reviews of places near you to eat. And we often decide where to go based on those Google's reviews. You know, if I don't have personal experience with something, that's one of the first things I do is I, I look at Google. I don't buy anything or go anywhere to eat or rent a holiday property hardly ever without looking at Google. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. So, yeah, I mean, the, the group does have a big influence on the decisions we make. And those reviews are actually, they're very helpful. I mean, they're very positive in, in many ways. They save us a lot of time. They save us a lot of money, a lot of hassle. And reviews are generally pretty accurate. There's always be some, you know, glowing reviews and some very poor ones out there on the extreme. But generally, if you kind of look in the middle, reviews are quite helpful. But the reality is, is that most people would be wrong with the crowd before they would be right by themselves, like the experiment we talked about. And this being challenge is going to help us to recenter our lives on what is right and being followers of Jesus and carrying out the mission that he has for us. And we all know that it's not an easy thing to do to be a proactive follower of Jesus in our everyday environment, whether it's at work or at school or with neighbors, or sometimes it's difficult to be that proactive follower of Jesus and carry out that mission. So what we're doing throughout this being challenge is we're looking at five different keystone habits that should be part of our everyday lives as Christians. And we're looking to Jesus to learn what those are and how to practice those keystone habits. And we'll be elaborating on this, obviously, a lot more as we go through it. We'll be talking more about what is a keystone habit. We've, we've already covered that some, but we'll be talking more about that going forward. And uh, we'll be looking at, you know, we'll be popping up in a different place each week as well. So. Um, stick with us to see where we end up each week. But something to understand about these habits is that you probably already have one of them and you're probably already good of, at at least one of them, maybe more. Uh, but we're working on a whole package and we're looking at five keystone habits. That's certainly not to say that there's not more than those. But a Christian life well lived is not really a single thing as it is a combination of a lot of smaller things, a culmination of a lot of different things that we do consistently. And that consistency is, is really a big key in succeeding as a follower of Jesus, is being a better follower and forming these keystone habits. And these things are uh, we're going to be talking about, they're not difficult and they're not complicated, but they do take time and they do take discipline. They're things that pretty much anybody can do, but they do take some time and discipline. And I hope, you know, you've already started working through your book um, and are taking the time each day to do that. But one of the things I love doing in, is watching someone who's really good at something. And I think a lot of the people enjoy that. So that's kind of why like, we like things like professional sports. We like to watch people do things that are really good at doing that thing. And when you watch a professional athlete, for instance, you're seeing someone who has uh, at, at the pinnacle of their sport, someone who's just an exceptional athlete. 
And when we watch them, we don't really think too much about the fact that they didn't just wake up like that one day. They didn't get up that morning and all of a sudden, well, I'm this great athlete and I'm so great at this sport. Behind what we see, you know, whether it's that, you know, goal or play or whatever it might be on the field, but behind that is years and years of consistent practice, consistent practice. And of course, in the case of professional sports, there's a lot of natural ability involved, but that natural ability isn't going to get an athlete very far without years of consistent, disciplined training. And often always hear the results of what's been a long-term effort involving small but consistent daily practices. And those things culminate over time and they build up. And that's what happens when Christians practice basic keystone habits for believers. Small but consistent practice today results in big fruit later in life. And so in our time together, we're going to be looking at five keystone habits. And our Being Challenge book is going to help us better practice those habits and help us establish those habits. And we'll be looking at the life of Jesus to do that. And we're also going to talk about the benefits of those habits as well, because there's a lot of benefits. And one of the things about a keystone habit is that it overflows into other areas of life that may not be directly correlated with that habit. They unintentionally carry over into other parts of life and make other parts of life better. And the return on the investment of forming those keystone habits is, is very good. It's very worthwhile. So I hope that you will come along with us as we do this. Now, a key passage of scripture that we're going to be talking about looking at and reading is going to be Matthew chapter 11 verses 29 through 30, which say you, you may have heard these before. I'm sure some of you have, but it says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And in that Jesus is saying, you know, come along and yoke up with me, work with me and learn from me. You know, form the same habits as Jesus. Do the same things Jesus does because we are a culmination of our habits. We really are. And our first keystone habit we're looking at is committing to community. Committing to community. Because community is a very powerful thing. Think back to our experiment that we looked at when we opened up. 75% of people were influenced to give the wrong answer by the people around them. So community is a very powerful thing. And you can imagine if you have a group of people with the right answer, how what a great influence that could be. But one of the first things Jesus did when he began his ministry in earnest was to form a community. And it, it wasn't a big community. It was actually very small. It was just a few guys um, that had really no idea what they were about to get into. Um, but he starts there and grows the community going forward. But it starts very small with a very close circle of people. And you can find that passage in Matthew chapter 4, Mark chapter 1, Luke chapter 6, and John chapter 2. Um, but it was one of the first things Jesus did was he formed a community. He called, called out um, some followers. But Jesus forms a community. And, you know, knowing who Jesus is and, and 
his capabilities. He, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of things he probably could have done faster and better on his own, but he, but he called out a community. Now, why do you think he did that? I mean, there's some obvious reasons for the, the perpetuity and things like that, but you know, you've heard it said, I know it was on our sign for a while, um, the church sign for a while that we were created for community. Um, some of us may enjoy that more than others. You know, not everybody loves being around a lot of people, but everybody likes to be around at least one or two people that they really like. Um, but God said clear back in Genesis chapter two, it's not good for a man to be alone. Um, very established, very early in scripture that we were created to be part of the community. It's an interesting thing to think about. And I know that we've all been through you know, lockdown and all the craziness of the world over the past, you know, few years. But even before that, there were studies that talked about and showed that the majority of people um, experience loneliness. A lot of people are very lonely and people are made to connect with other people, to have meaningful connection with other people. And when Jesus formed his community, he didn't go and sit somewhere and wait for people to come to him. He intentionally went to people and he formed a specific kind of community, not just, you know, random people to hang out with, but he, there was intention in what he did. And it was more than just being social, um, although that's certainly part of it. It really is, but it's more than that. I mean, he told these guys that were part of his community, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And the kind of you, the kind of community that we form around ourselves. You know, we've all heard birds of a feather, and there's a whole bunch of different sayings and things that go along with that. But the kind of community that we form around ourselves does matter. And the book of Proverbs, chapter 13, verse 20 says, "He who walks with wise men will be wise, but a companion, a companion of fools, will be destroyed." Jesus interacted with a lot of people, but he had a community and even a core community within that community. And your community is what's going to trigger your habits and help you form habits. So you're, you're, the community that you form around yourself, and you do this intentionally, the community that you form around yourself is going to have a big influence on who you are. The people you associate with have a lot to do with who you are. And your community is going to lead you in a direction. And it's prudent and wise to think about what's that direction going to be? Where is my community going to lead me? A few examples of that. You know, people, uh, we generally pay more attention to how other people spend their money than how we save our own money. Um, have you ever heard someone said, I don't know how those people afford that? Well, that's kind of a um, uh, uh, another way of saying that. That's probably what that is. And many of us, you know, we have a large extended community, especially with social media and stuff. I've got some ridiculous amount of people I'm associated with on social media, over a thousand. And, you know, that it's a very large, loose community. Um, and we see what a lot of people are doing through that, but they're not really close community. Um, they can have some influence on us, um, good, bad, or otherwise. They can, sometimes they often influence our mood on social media. I know that. 
but it, you know, it can also affect our social and financial decisions and things like that. But the closer you are to someone, you know, that really close community, the closer you are to someone, the more likely you are to share the same habits with that someone. It's, it's, it's so um, thorough, in fact, that there's been studies that have shown that uh, who we make part of our community even affects our weight, like how much we weigh. That's a pretty um, uh, intimate influence. But many of the things we succeed or fail at are determined by the people we connect with in a meaningful way. You know, setting up a community is one of the first things we see Jesus do when he begins his ministry. And granted, Jesus is going to affect that community a lot more than they affect him. But they still, you know, they're still his friends. They're still part of his community. But your current community, the people that you're hanging out with right now, are an indication of your future self. So you can kind of look around at the people that you tend to run around with and look at them and go, okay, this is an indicator of who I'm going to be in the future. And that may be great. You might be a wonderful thing, but you might think, hmm, I wonder, wonder how good this really is for me. Something to think about for sure, isn't it? Who you're hanging out with today is who you're going to be like tomorrow. Uh, someone like Peter in Scripture is, is a perfect example of that. You remember Peter, um, there was a time when Peter was actually with Jesus. He was still kind of you know reactionary and immature in his faith. And remember, he cut the guy's ear off when Jesus was arrested. He ran away and denied he even knew who Jesus was when Jesus was on trial and uh, but he you know later he became a solid rock apostle and wrote a couple of books of the New Testament. So Jesus built community first and as we begin to think about implementing keystone habits, it makes sense that we do the same thing. So that's our first keystone habit is committing to community. And we all need an environment <clears throat> that's going to help us, and support us in becoming that, you know, being more like Jesus and following him. And I have, you know, no doubt that it's on someone's mind right now. And they're saying to themselves, well, you're talking about community. And, you know, I'm a regular churchgoer and that's my community. But right now we're online. And, well, I'm not minimizing church at all. That's not what I mean. What I mean is I'm amplifying community. The people that you associate closely with who influence you in big ways. Church is even a keystone habit that we'll be talking about uh, um, in a few weeks. We'll be talking about more of that later. But it's different. It's something different than, than the habit of forming community, the right community that's going to help us be more like Jesus. Now, Sunday church is important. I don't mean to downplay it, but my church experience and interacting with church people over the years have shown me that church service doesn't have as large an effect on how people live as we might like to think it would. Um, it does, but yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of negligible for a lot of people. You know, sitting on church on Sunday doesn't always have a lot to do with how someone lives their life on Tuesday. What it does have a lot to do with, though, is who that person is surrounding themselves with, who's part of their regular community that's influencing them. 
you know, again, don't take this in the wrong way. Church is important. Large groups are important. They may influence us to a degree, the community we live in, and might influence us a little bit, but not that much. Um, that's not the place where we form our habits. Your habits are formed among your very close community. And we aren't just talking about people you know. Okay? Not, not just people that I'm acquainted with, but people who are my close community. And something for us to be aware of is who we are allowing that position of influence in our lives. Um, we learn from Jesus and his community what that community should look like. And we think about the, the 12 apostles, for instance, definitely part of this community. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul talks about after the resurrection, uh, over 500 people saw Jesus. And or when he fed, Jesus fed 5,000 people and he taught large groups of people and he you know, interacted with large groups of people. There were many times that Jesus was part of a, a larger community. And that's important. Um, in Luke chapter 10, verse 1, it says, After this, a Lord, the Lord appointed 70 others, and he sent them two by two ahead of him into every city in place where he himself was about to come. And this is still a large group of people. You know, we've, we've seen 50, we've seen 5,000. Now this is 70 people, which is a much smaller group. And then there's a group that's even smaller when you get down to his 12 disciples. And there's many times in the Gospels where Jesus takes them aside specifically and interacts with just them or teaches just them. But there's even a core group within that group. There's three people that Jesus interacted with in a way that he didn't interact with with everybody in a different way. Even, even among the, the, um, his close followers, there was the three people that Jesus interacted with in a different way, in, in a more uh, a closer way, a more intimate way. Peter, James, and John. And Jesus constantly had a throng of people wanting access to him. There was always people you know, trying to get access to Jesus. <clears throat> but he allowed Peter, James, and John more access than anyone else. And, you know, he invited them into the room when he raised Jairus's daughter in Matthew chapter five. Um, they went up with him to the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. And Jesus asked them to accompany him to pray in the garden just before he was arrested in Matthew chapter 26. In that smaller group, of the three, Peter, James, and John, had the most access to Jesus. They had a different kind of access to Jesus. And the amount of access to Jesus, you'll notice, decreased with the size of the group. And that, you know, that's true for pragmatic reasons as well. And you might wonder why Jesus picked those three guys to be closest to him, uh, Peter, James, and John. We talked about Peter and denying Jesus and being kind of reactionary. And then the other two guys, they were ordinary people just like you and me as well. And Acts chapter 4 talks about Peter and John as uneducated, ordinary guys. And it was James and John who wanted to destroy a Samaritan village because they weren't welcoming in Luke chapter 9. And John refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. And John and Peter didn't get along that great. Uh, John 
make sure we know, you know, who cut off the servant's ear when Jesus was arrested. And we also, uh, he also wrote about how he outran Peter to the tomb um, after Jesus was resurrected. And I guess what, what we can learn from that is that people are what they are. And our community, even though they influence our habits, they don't have to be perfect. They don't have to be perfect. Um, but one thing they did do right, and one thing they did have in common was they put following Jesus at the top of their priority list. And really, that's enough. I mean, if, if someone in your community, as long as that's at the top of their priority list, that's, that's good enough. That's a good community. And people are difficult. And there's always going to be you know, struggles and conflict and problems, uh, especially with people who are very close to you. Often that's who we really have the struggles with. But does your close community make following Jesus a top priority? That's really the question that we need to ask. Because if they are, if that's what they're doing, chances are that's what you're going to be doing too. And just as likely, if they're not, you won't be either. Because whether you recognize it, know it, believe it, the people around you that are part of your close community are helping you form your habits. They're they're having an impact on who you're going to be tomorrow. They're shaping who you are becoming. And as you look at your Being Challenge book and work through that, the challenge is, or part of the challenge is to look at the community you're part of and give that some thought, you know, beyond just people you just hang out with and beyond people that you only see on Sunday. Now ask yourself, is my community, my close community, the people that are helping me form my habits, having an influence on me, all of those things, are they pointing me towards Jesus or are they pointing me towards something else? Or is where are we just randomly wandering? But who are the three most influential people in your life. Think about that. Who are the three most influential people in your life? Then maybe who are the 12? And, and then that's when you start looking at, you know, who's, who's my church community. But those other things, you know, we think of, okay, who's, who are the most influential people in my life? And three, and they can be from church community, obviously, but it's something that we need to consider and think about because we often don't really give that much thought. But who has access to you and how are they influencing you? How are they helping you grow in your relationship with Jesus? Or are they doing that at all? Are they taking you somewhere else? Is your community bringing you closer to Jesus or are they moving you farther away? Important things to think about. And we're certainly not saying cut ties with people who may not be leading you closer to Jesus. Um, not at all. That's not what we mean. I mean, we know as Christians, that's not what we're supposed to do. Jesus hasn't called us to go away and, and hide from the world with people who think just like we do. But he's called us to be an influence in the lives of those who don't know Jesus. So we need to be sure that the people that we're allowing influence in our lives share the same goals. That's important. And we can be an influence for other people, obviously, and we can associate and hang out with other people, all those things. But those, that close community that is helping us form habits, we want to make sure that their goals align with our goals of being more like Jesus. And I want you to think about that. Meditate on that. You know, who influences you? 
and also think about who you can influence. Who can you, you know, be part of their community and be a, a good influence for them in following Jesus? If you think about that and are aware of that and make the effort to have a community of people who influence you to follow Jesus and you influence others to follow Jesus, you know what? You're going to be just fine. You're going to do well when it comes to being more like Jesus. It's going to go well if you, if you make that effort, form that habit, think about who my community is. Now, there's one more thing to talk about. We're almost done. But there's one more thing to talk about before we finish up. You know, Jesus interacted with thousands. Then he interacted with hundreds, 12, clear down to three. But there's one, one more that we haven't touched on yet. The single one, his father. That's the one, that's, that's the person he was closest with was his father. And that's the way it should be for every believer, for all of us. The one who we should be closest to is God himself. God the father at the center of everything. He should be at the center of our life. He should be at the center of community. In our close community, he should be the center of their lives as well. And it doesn't matter who your community is. If God is not the center of that community, your community is not going to influence you or support you in following Jesus. Well, that's all I've got for you this week. I hope you will stay in your book. Keep working at it. It's It takes some discipline, some time at first. But as we work through this, we're going to form some keystone habits. And it is going to impact your life for the better. And I want to leave you with a challenge as we finish up. One of the key aspects of this challenge is to encourage you to take responsibility for your spiritual health and well-being. And I certainly want to do that. So what I want you to do this week, I want you to reach out to someone who you think might influence you to form better habits in following Jesus. Think about who that might be. Who could that be in your life? Who do you know that you can connect with who is going to influence you to form better habits, who also has God at the center of their life. Form keystone habits. Go out with them, get a coffee, invite them, whatever. Go for a walk, whatever best suits you and them, and talk about how the both of you together might become better followers of Jesus. I look forward to seeing you again next week, and I hope between now and then uh, you are seeking to be more like Jesus.